Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. What is up, Feeling Film listeners, and welcome to this edition of the podcast. I'm Patch, and with me, as always, is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. Aaron White, do 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 do. Aaron White, do 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 do. Aaron White, do 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 do. Aaron White. It just doesn't have the same kind of ring to it. It's so much better. I agree. You are you are spot on. Spot on. You use a British uh, phrase there. That's nice. I like that. Yeah, I'm actually uh, drinking a cuppa in honor of Ted. No, I'm not actually because no. I don't hate tea like Ted, but. It, coffee. It's garbage. It's garbage water. That was I'm so funny. Water. <laughs> when he calls it that, he's like, there toward the last in the episode where he's just like, when he's talking with Roy and he's like, I'm just, I'm not gonna even beat around the bush anymore. This is trash. Yeah, <laughs> he's blunt about it. It's so I forget what he but, says. He calls it like raccoon piss or something, but yeah. it's like it's really whatever it is is really bad. He'd rather drink day old like steamed water from the spaghetti he made or something like that. It's pretty funny. I will stick to my ice cold tea from my Bucky's cup. That will make me happy, and I guess we can move on. Well, if you have not guessed, we're changing things up this week, and instead of covering an older, beloved, or a new film, we decided to show some love to one, if not, our favorite on-screen coach, Ted Lasso. With season two just around the corner, we wanted to give you our spoilerific thoughts on season one, and maybe... Just maybe by the end of the episode, have a better understanding of what offside in soccer really is. I'm not optimistic, but fortunately, Ted Lasso is. So here we go. This is your spoiler warning. We are going to talk about the first season in depth, favorite moments, favorite characters, favorite everything. We hope that you're going to enjoy this conversation because we have been looking forward to talking about this for a little while. So you've been warned, and here we go. Alrighty, Aaron, I want to start off by talking about our own history with soccer, how we got into the sport, what our journey with it has been or is currently, and, and really how it relates to our love of the show. So I'll go ahead and let you start off with that. All right, well, I started off watching college football, and then as I was going through a divorce, I got sent to England. No, um, uh, so I... I know, right? <laughs> Amazing. I came to soccer... First, I would say in the early to mid 2000s, I had not followed the sport. I was one of those people who fully believed it was completely boring and it was just guys or women kicking around a ball. Nothing was exciting about it. Very rarely scored. Your common complaints that you hear people who don't really watch soccer or aren't invested in it have never been a fan of the sport. Those are the things they'll complain about. The, the complaining, the whining, the diving, and the, the players acting like they got shot on the field and things like that. And so I was in that camp. Never cared about it. Well, when I was on a cruise, I was on a, a Navy ship. We were on a deployment one year, and my admin office became the hub for gaming over the course of the cruise. And so we would, I had set up like, I think it was a PS2 at the time and an Xbox an Xbox or an Xbox 360, I can't remember which one it was, but we had consoles set up. And so when we would be done for the day, we would switch from our computer monitors or our computer PCs or whatever for work. We would switch the monitor over to the consoles 
and I would have guys come and congregate in the admin office to play games. And we did a lot of NCAA football. And the other one that happened to be this year was it was a World Cup year. And so we ended up playing World Cup FIFA because what FIFA does is they put out a special version of their game every four years, and they call it the World Cup Edition. And so we were playing that at the time. And I just started learning from friends that were into soccer about the game. And as I started to play it, I got more interested in it. And I started watching the World Cup, which is a great parallel because going on right this last couple of weeks and right now, we are in the alternate World Cup year. And so we got the Euro Championship. We got the Copa Championship. Right now, the U.S. is playing in the Gold Cup Championship, which is Central and North America teams. And these are some of the best soccer matches you could ever possibly see when you watch national teams against each other because it's just the quality, the cream of the crop, right, rises to the top. So that's what I got started watching. Well, when I did that, I was like, okay. So then I started picking out favorite players, and I became a fan of a team called Arsenal uh, in the Premier League in England. I loved a guy named Thierry Henry, and I was like, you're going to be my guy. You're going to be my team because, I mean, I don't live in England, so I just had to pick a team randomly, right? They were pretty good. So I picked this team, started following them for several years, and really enjoyed kind of doing that. And then I was just a casual fan, I think. You know, I'd watch it here and there. It was definitely probably seventh or eighth on my favorite sports list of things that I would do until I don't remember when I'm his age it was, but basically my son was, I don't know, four or five. And my ex-wife was looking for something to do with him. And she took him one time to this mommy and me soccer day class and he enjoyed it and so she kept taking him back she kept taking him back and that launched us into what ended up being a decade of mostly select soccer life for us with our son and it was you know two to three practices every single week and it was games on Saturdays and Sunday sometimes on Sundays too and just totally getting immersed into the sport it's when I really started to learn what the sport was, was going through it with him. Because as any parent will tell you, you know, if your son or your child, is, your, your, your kids are into something, you want to know everything there is to know about it. Like, I don't want to be <laughs> less knowledgeable than my child. I want to be able to tell them what's up, right? And so that was part of what spurred it on. But I just, you know, I fell in love with it. I was taking him to Sounders matches. I got to take him to a U.S. national team match against Puerto Rico one time here in Seattle. That was an incredible time. Then I fell in love with the Sounders through this, uh, this whole thing because they're local. So I started watching every match and following them and just years and years of building up this intense like love with the sport. And, and it's gotten to me where now I, it is one of my absolute favorite sports. I do watch almost every single Sounders match. I watch as many U.S. national team matches as I can. And I watch all the major competitions because they are incredibly fun for me. And, and I get a lot of excitement out of them. And even though my son no longer plays, the, my love of the sport has stayed and I will champion the sport forever. And I, it's a big part of why Ted Lasso landed the way it did for me was not just because of the character and the themes and the way the show is presented that we'll talk about, of course, but like the sport itself that it uses to center on is something I had not gotten to see explored in this way before. You know, if it was, if it was just another football, American football show, like we, we've got Friday Night Lights. Like I don't, I'm good, <laughs> frankly. You know what I mean? We've got Friday Night Lights. We've got our movies. We've got Varsity Blues and such. 
We've got so many great baseball movies. We didn't have something like that we could fall in love with that that could hit that soccer niche, and this is it for me. I, I echo everything you said for the most part. I look at the way that this show came into my world and how it happened at a time when, like you, my son is now eight. Soccer is the sport that he plays, partly because there's really nothing else that interests him. He's not necessarily gung-ho about it. Like, he'll play it and he enjoys it. Currently, he's in a an EPA, an upper-level training with um, our one of our clubs here called the Rangers, who have a semi-pro team. Sam Little Rock's are pretty fun to watch. And he's at a place right now, performance-wise, where we're trying to get him to not only continue to have fun with the sport, but also get better. So he's learning really cool techniques. He's learning about TikToks and toe taps and these things that, that I'm learning. And he's been doing this pretty consistently for the last four or five years. He started when he was three or four, when he was you know, kicking a ball and a goal with a stuffed animal attached to it so he'll know which one it is. And over the last two or three years, he's been on a good friend of mine's team, uh, and they practice. He's talking about practice. You know, they practice about uh, just in one of the fields next to, to my team when we when we practice. And so I get to see him pretty much lay the smack down on my team because my team was like the Mighty Ducks of the soccer world. And so getting a chance to see him get better, getting a chance to see him just enjoy the sport, when Ted Lasso season one came along, just amplified that. Because at the same time, as he was getting better at the sport, I wanted to find another source of income find something that was good, um, exercise, and a way to really connect with the sport to be able to talk to him about the things that he's learning. And so I became a referee a couple of years ago. And for better or for worse, it's been an interesting experience. I've gotten a chance to understand that parents, players, and coaches are always going to get mad at something. And sometimes they have a right, and sometimes they don't. And you have to have thick skin. So I'm definitely learning a lot. With that, but I'm also having to learn about obviously the, the laws of the game, and then the the local rules depending on what pitch you're playing on, even the language, you know, pitch versus field, or out of out of bounds versus into touch, those types of things. So all of that culminated to you saying, "Hey, you need to check out this show. I think it's the best TV series of 2020. I think this was probably mid to late summer that you pitched this to me, and I was like." Okay. Had seen Jason Sudeikis on SNL. I didn't know about the history of Ted Lasso as a character before watching the show. And so when I watched season one, everything about the show hit me in my happy place. Not just the entertainment value, but the sincerity that comes from the show and what it's trying to present. The humor is just top notch. The writing is fantastic. And like Ted, I began to have a real appreciation for the game. And so since then, my son and I have decided to adopt a U.S. team. Now, we're in Arkansas, so you don't have any pro teams here. It's all Razorback or nothing. And so we looked around, and honestly, I looked at teams that we could drive to see. Because if we ever got into a a real, like, fandom I want to pick a team that's not on the West Coast or not in New York. And so we follow Atlanta United. And they're not good. 
No, but they're not at they're all. They're not. But the thing is, is that I'm not an obsessive fan like I would be for LSU football or the Atlanta Braves to an extent, where I'm not going to live and die with each match that they lose or tie or, or whatever. And what's fun is to sit there for 90 minutes, and I, I never thought I would do this, or sit there for 90 minutes and actually get into these matches. We were in Dallas, and we got to see an FC Dallas match live, which was, which was amazing. And I think that was our first live soccer match in a professional stadium, so it was just really great. And then that next day, we had DVR'd the afternoon match between Atlanta and I think Philadelphia. And they, they ended up tying, giving up two goals late, which is frustrating. But watching that match, I remember getting really frustrated and I was like, what, what am I doing? I'm, I'm actually into this sport. And I think a lot of that has to do with Ted Lasso in combination with my son and making that effort to just really appreciate a sport for a personal reason, but also getting inspired by a television show where I connect with this guy in various ways, not just because of his attitude, but because of his naivety, because of the fact that I don't know everything. And then you and I, before we got into, uh, you know, we co-op when we can, and before we got into It Takes Two, we were, I think there was one night we played FIFA 21, and I loved it. Don't tell the story. Don't tell the story. We were awesome, and we dominated. That's what you need to know. We did. But one thing I enjoy about the game, because I still play it on my own, is a. In fact, my son now plays for Atlanta United, and he's dominating. So he's uh, he's great in the game. What I enjoy about that game is that it teaches you about how to play. Like when you're offside, it shows you how you were offside. When you foul versus you know getting a foul versus getting a card, that kind of thing. The announcers are great to kind of explain to you in a way that's not explaining to you educationally, but as part of your gaming experience. And so all these things have sort of culminated to me appreciating the sport. I intentionally am trying to call things what they are. Like when we go practice, we train. When we go train, we train on a pitch, not on a field. We talk about keepers instead of goalies. And it's a fun, frustrating thing to do because I'm like, He'll say, do you want to, you know, am I going to be goalie? I said, nope, but you'll probably be a keeper. And he's like, dad, you know what I mean. I said, yeah, but I want you to know what you mean. And it's just been really fun to be able to kind of get immersed in a sport and to just kind of figure things out as you go. But also, I hope at some point, some coach is going to yell at me and call me highlighter. I really do. I hope so too. I was thinking that. (laughs) That's awesome. Or yell at me to, yell at me to understand offside and I'm like, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> we'll see. So yeah, that's my experience with it. Yeah, I'm so happy that you guys are into it. And I remember when Carson started playing soccer and I was shocked because I just did not expect that to be the sport that he chose and that you guys took him to because you had no interest in it. Whereas like with Tyler, I at least had a history of some sort watching and playing games of soccer, right? Like I knew what, I knew my way around the sport a little bit and you didn't really have that. And so it was surprising. And but it's been so cool to watch your journey and you go through these things and get to share information with you and teach you along the way too, um, and watch you get smarter and better and, and grow to love it, even though you're going to root for Atlanta, which is going to be a lot of pain 
Um, that's okay. Seattle's still here. Seattle's here for you anytime you want. We'll, we'll take it's you. It's not on TV. That's the uh, thing. If oh, I know. TV, I would follow it. That's just, I, I mean, I would I have to find a team Actually, that's going to be close enough to get ESPN Plus matches. Amazon Prime covers uh, uh, Seattle's games. We have an Amazon Prime like d- partnership or something. But anyway, yes. No, I totally agree with you about getting somewhere local because as you experienced when you went to that match, it's amazing. Like there, the atmosphere that you feel at a soccer match is like very different than almost any other sport I've ever been to because it is a nonstop. There is a, a level of energy that the local supporters bring that is just infectious <laughs> and it, you, you get caught up in it and it's really special. I also wanted to mention something before we move on to the show, but it's kind of a, maybe it's a segue. I don't know, but this had me thinking about it and how badly I want an AFC Richmond jersey because not only do I love it because I love the show, but I, I realized something when I was trying to decide, you know, when do I want to purchase it? How soon? How many things do I want to buy? Because I, you know, like you, I want a hoodie as well. Like there's so many things that I would just want to rep AFC Richmond. And at first I was like, that's kind of silly. This is a fictional team, right? Although we do now follow them on Twitter too. They have an official Twitter account, by the way, peeps. Uh, go look that up. It's pretty good. But the point was like what I came up with was I realized, look, all my first jerseys before I stopped buying them for this very specific reason, all my Seattle jerseys were my favorite players and every single one of them left. I had an Ichiro jersey and then he was gone. I had a Richard Sherman jersey for Seahawks and then he was gone. My favorite Seattle sounder of all time, Freddie Montero, and then he was gone. Now, Ichiro and Montero luckily have both come back to the team for different stints, and Montero is currently a sounder again after many years away, so that's nice. But the point was, like, it made me remember how fickle sports are when it comes to movement of players. And this is one thing that college always had as a big plus for me following college versus professional sports is because the players were kind of locked in. You knew if they were going to be a hog or or an LSU tiger, they were going to be there for their three or four years. Not so much now because of transfer rules that may be changing. But up until then, that was a big draw. And what it kind of corresponds to is the way that I felt about wanting something with Ted Lasso's name and this fictional AFC Richmond team. Patrick, they can't leave. Okay, Ted Lasso, I mean, he may leave in the narrative of the show. But what we know to be true is that nothing in real life is going to change that character for free agency trades or human mistakes. So if I'm repping an actual player like, let's say, an Ichiro, and all of a sudden Ichiro gets arrested for some ungodly, awful crime, right? And now I have this jersey, but he's my favorite player, but now he's not my favorite player and I have to go through this real sad time because I not necessarily idolized, of course, but I had all this appreciation and love for an actual sports player or coach or whatever. But if it's a character in a movie or TV show, like what do we know about Ted Lasso that is going to be infinite is his optimism. He's probably going to go through some ups and downs over the course of however many seasons they do. But much like a coach Taylor, there's no doubt that he's going to end up with that same strong character because that's what makes him special so like i can wear a ted lasso afc richmond jersey and i can never worry that he's going to embarrass me and i think that that's pretty darn cool and it kind of bumped it up on my priority list honestly 
Yeah, I'm the same way. I probably won't get a jersey because I'm not a jersey guy. I have several hanging in my closet. Sorry, for... a kit. A kit. Let me. I don't want to. There we go. Yeah. Don't yell well, at me, no, ref. No, 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 no. No, a kit is the full thing. You can get a jersey. Oh, okay. All right. It's the entire. It's the pants. It's the shorts and. The, Teach me. Teach and, me. And, and the and the boots. Not not the cleats. The boots. <laughs> not the boots. Oh, it's just it's so good. But I am one of those people that will probably buy a hat or get a hoodie because of the fact that if I took a step back, I'm not going to get a player. If I did, it would probably be Roy Kent. Do I love Roy? Roy, fantastic. Roy. But I would get the team because the team will never leave. The team will, even when we talk about them getting relegated, they're still AFC Richmond. They're just not playing in the Premier League. They're playing in the Champions League. And so I will, the idea of representing a fictional team, the benefit is that it's forever because it lives in that universe that you appreciate. I want a Dylan Panthers hoodie or hat. I want a hat. I want because or or you know a West Star East Dillon Lions hat, something like that. Where what you're putting on is a representation of that team and what they represent. AFC Richmond represents the extension of our love for Ted Lasso as a character, and really in the real world, Ted Lasso is a show. We're walking advertisements at that point. There's a reason why Warner Brothers had has put these things out there because it's such a beloved show. And so when you have people that will be walking around in this year, you now have a common connection. Just like when you go, like when I walk into a store and I see somebody with an LSU hat on, I'll say go Tigers and there's an immediate smile because they know what I'm saying. They know what I'm talking about. And they know, oh, I've got some camaraderie here. Sports shows and sports movies that have merchandise attached to them create that same kind of camaraderie and that same kind of community. That in and of itself is an extension of the show, this idea of community over individualism, which we'll get into. But I think that's partly why I want to be able to get that kind of gear. One, because it'll be fun to wear. And two, it's a great talking point. Who's that? Who's that? Richmond. Ah, or let me, let me tell you about this, this football club and about the show that it extends from. Aaron, I talk about this show when when the conversations come up about things you should be watching. The first thing I say is Ted Lasso. Here's six dollars. Same. Go get a go get a month of Apple TV Plus yep. and thank me afterwards. And I usually use the uh, the NBC Sports promo stuff as a primer. Say, look, if you like this, you're going to get ten episodes of this heart drama and all kinds of good stuff that. I think is probably what makes this one of the best shows out there right now. And so I'm hoping that people who are listening so far who haven't seen the show are pausing this and going and queuing it up and hopefully coming back and thanking us later. Everybody I know that has watched it based on the internet version of hype that people have been sharing the show. Every time somebody sees it, they go and they rave about it and somebody else is like a kind of a, domino effect somebody else seems to watch it and then they rave about it and such and it's it's a beautiful thing to see because i've never seen anyone ever say anything like oh yeah i watched that and that was fun like everybody who has ever watched it has come off raving about it and that there's high praise because not everybody's a soccer fan and so it has nothing to do with whether or not you like soccer or not so let's talk about that for a minute because i think this leads into something that you said last year that has stuck with me over the last year (laughs) 
because it's been about a year since we've seen it since you said this. But after the first episode, I said, this is amazing. And you said, and I quote, this is a show that we need right now. And I wanted to ask you first, because this, there's a lot here. What did you mean by that when you said it? And has that, has that kind of changed or do you still feel the same way? Do you still kind of elicit the same kind of emotion watching it through a second time for the show or for the, yeah, for this, for this podcast? Well, the, the, the part that I said it at the time, obviously it came out and we were watching it in the midst of major lockdowns and the pandemic mm-hmm. and sports were largely on hold. Things were not happening at the time. And so it, it almost was like a surrogate for my love of sports because that was something I missed almost as much, if not more than going to the movie theater, I would probably tell you is not getting my live sports or not getting to see sports with fans in the audience. I've been watching the NBA playoffs. The finals are going right now and just comparing it to last year in the bubble when they did the NBA playoffs. And you really can feel the difference, right? Or like today, the England and Italy Euro cup final, both beautiful and incredibly scary (laughs) was how packed Wembley stadium was and how many people were like in there like sardines and it, you know, it's COVID still a problem. So it's kind of, mm. but at the same time, there's an element of just like, Oh my gosh, look at this. Like this is, this is how sports are supposed to be. This communal celebratory fan focused thing. And we didn't have that. And so part of me, that was part of what it was is having Ted Lasso to fill this kind of gap. But the other part, man, is just the optimism. I was coming off of Friday Night Lights at some point last year, probably around the time I watched this. So either I had just finished or was going to be finishing it up soon. And I can honestly not think of two characters, being Coach Taylor and Coach Lasso, that are more kind of (laughs) good, (laughs) for lack of a better term. They're good. And above all, it's the optimism of of Ted Lasso, because clearly that's his thing. He's ultimately going to believe that he has that sign in the locker room that he put up. By the way, just ordered one on Etsy. I have it. I have a spot right by my door. And yes, you better darn believe that I'm going to be tapping that thing every day. I'm excited about that. But (laughs) like, that's the thing, right, is we, we get to see this character who exhibits he's almost a cartoon in a lot of ways because you just don't see anyone in the real world that has this sort of optimism and this sort of positive attitude towards everybody around him even when he's getting laughed at getting made fun of he always turns the other cheek so to speak he's able to shift it and make it funny even when he's probably hurting inside and at times when it's very clear, like we get to see that he's hurting inside, but he portrays outwardly in a way that continues to believe in what he is selling, which is belief <laughs> that that people are good and that you if you ha- it's almost like the power of positive thinking in a sense, but not because not in the way that is like mystical where positivity is going to get you what you want rather positivity like we learn in the very end of the show when he's in that amazing last final locker room scene with the whole team right and he tells him he says listen you i don't want anyone here to think that you failed he said because you may not have won but you all succeeded and that's 
his real true belief. And when someone believes in you and, and it's not just words, because plenty of people say those things, you know, inspirational moments. But do you walk that walk in your daily life 24-7? Ted Lasso does. And it's inspirational because I don't know that anybody can necessarily be Ted Lasso. But it's somebody that you know you want to be better like, you want to be more like him. And you can see how the world around him slowly shifts to become infected with this positivity and friendliness and just like base level concern and care and empathy for other people around him. And my gosh, does the world need that? Because we don't have it as a whole, as a society. Like we are selfish as crap, at least, you know, and I, I'm speaking for America because that's where I live and that's the people that I get to be around. But I will tell you in my life, what I see is very in my whether it's social media circles and people in real life, like we are a selfish people, selfish humanity that cares about what is hurting me, what is affecting me, and that's most important. Then I'll take time to maybe think about the rest of the people around me or what, what else might be happening in the world. But it always starts with me. That's not Ted Lasso. It always starts with everybody else. And then he worries about himself last, and that is just so opposite of the world's culture today and i that's why i think we need it because i think we need to close the gap I, again i don't think we're gonna i'm gonna i'm not trying to preach i don't think we're gonna get to ted lasso level i don't think we can be jesus i'm not calling ted lasso jesus but like it's a similar thing where you're not gonna be sinless but you can get closer right you can aspire to be this thing that ted lasso is which is utterly optimistic and and always putting other people first and positive and if you do that and you walk in that every day, you will change. Your outlook on life will change. Your demeanor and your interaction with other people around you will change. And that's what I was getting at that I think the world needs more of. Well, I would agree with all that. I think I'd like to kind of expand on what you were saying because I don't know that Ted Lasso is like inspiring us to be him. And I don't think the character is inspiring any of... That's what's really great about his character is that he's not saying, be like me. He's saying, here's what it is, and here's who you are. Believe it. And watching him play out his... Watching Sudeikis play out this character over the course of 10 episodes, what we see is that consistency. Because you could be an inspiring person. You could give that 20-minute TED Talk that could inspire a nation. And maybe 15 people in that audience of like, what, a thousand would take what you said and move forward. But they're never going to see you again. They're not walking day to day with you. They're not seeing some of the struggles that you, you face. And the benefit that we have, Aaron, is that we get to see how Ted deals with frustrating times in the locker room, how he deals with a depreciating marriage and one that's on the verge on the cusp of just going poof and it's not about just being positive with him it's about being hopeful that's what i think why i believe i think is vaulted above optimism because you can be optimistic and to a point that could be very cartoonish like i'm always going to think about the best no ted legitimately believes in the thing that he's doing even if it came as a result of 
him doing the selfless thing and leaving, getting as far away from his relationship with his wife to give her space as possible. So what he does, if he's not, it seems like everything he does, Aaron, is he's doing something forward-thinking, offensively, not defensively. So he is putting himself in a position to say, okay, I have to make a decision. What's going to be best for my wife? What's going to be best for my family? And taking this job at Richmond was, as we find out, really initiated by his broken relationship with his wife. But what does he do with it? It's not that he makes lemonade out of lemons. It's like we believe with Ted that the best can come out of the players. And I think that the two biggest ideas that I latched onto were framed in that optimism, framed in that sense of believing, was this level of grace that he extended to everyone. And he does it, you ask, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you so positive? And I think there's a glimpse of that in the in the dart match with, the dart game or dart match, I don't know, <laughs> in throwing darts with Rupert. Yeah. Where he's telling the story right as he just kind of cuts him down. I love it. I love the way, he, the, the way that scene plays out. But what he says is pretty phenomenal. He says, you don't know who I am. You, you saw me as this guy from America, from Kansas, who doesn't know anything about your sport, and you made a judgment call. And I find that people judge because they don't want to learn about each other. And that learning about one another takes individualism off the table. In other words, I can't be selfish and learn about the people around me. I can't value other people's worldview, even if I fundamentally disagree, I cannot sincerely value their worldview if I don't take the time to listen. Why do you feel that way? Tell me the story about how you got to where you are now with the situation that you're in. Those are the types of conversations I want to have with people who, on the surface, I know I disagree with because the conversation is not about figuring out why they're wrong and I'm right or why they're right and I'm wrong. It's about saying, Help me understand your worldview. Help me understand what it is in your life, how you grew up, what you were exposed to that brought you to this place because I don't understand. And I think that's what, speaking as Americans, we need more than ever right now. We need to be able to mutually understand and have, I guess the phrase is civil discourse with one another because we immediately dismiss one another, Aaron. We immediately say, oh, I'm going to put you into an easy camp of Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, black, white. We're going to put someone in a bubble or in a box and say, all right, I'm going to make these kinds of assumptions about you because of the three things that you said in a five-minute conversation. Or a tweet. Or a tweet, right. (laughs) And when you look at the show, it's almost like it's inviting you to say, no, don't do that. So there's this great moment. And I know we'll talk about other great moments in the show. So if I'm giving one away... That you like, I'm sorry, not sorry. No, the darts one is awesome. The darts one's good, but the other one I really want to point out is, I don't remember his name, which is ironic because, you know, it's been, I just talked about, you know, getting to know people and remembering the, the Nigerian player. Do you remember his name? His name is Sam. Sam, thank you. Easy to remember, hard to forget. But apparently for me, that's part for the course. Sam's birthday is coming around the corner and 
Ted recognizes Sam hasn't been playing well. Maybe it could be that he hasn't seen his family, so he arranges to have this birthday box or this birthday for him. And Ted gives him this gift of all these different things, including those army men that his son brought Ted, that he mailed to them. Because to him and to his son, those things are important. They represent protection. They represent something positive for Ted. And I love Sam's reaction. Because in our world, in the pessimistic world, Sam could take this, put it in his pocket, and then tweet, Ted Lasso offended me by giving this giving me this army man. He should know how I feel about this. But instead he says, Coach, do you mind if I don't accept this? I don't have the same adornment for the U.S. military that you do. And what <laughs> I Ted did, it's, 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 yeah, it's a great little moment. Because what Ted does is like, oh, yeah, yeah, I understand. And then he makes some comment about imperialism. He goes, yeah, imperialism. But what we gain from that moment, Aaron, is a value of the person over the thing. And nothing is lost in terms of what Ted is trying to do for Sam and making him feel appreciated, making him feel important, making him feel like he's part of a team. And that goes a long way in their relationship. And now Sam's the guy that recognizes that you got to have the brain of a goldfish. You forget it and move on. Those types of moments I think we need more of in real life, honestly. We need to be able to accept the fact that people just don't see things like we do. And it isn't necessarily about getting them to a conclusion where they need to, but more about at least finding a way to understand them, finding a way to say, Help me get this. Help me figure this out. And that, I think, puts value on the person rather than the perspective that they bring to the table. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think you're you're spot on with the way that that plays out and what makes it so impactful and so sweet. And of course, everything about this show is done with a just uniquely incredible balance of humor in the moments. Because... They're able to make those points, and yet both of them are hilarious, right? With that that final line that me it's meaningful, where Sam's like, you know, I don't have the same affection for American imperialism or whatever, and you're like, oh, oh yeah, it's Nigeria. Whoops, my bad, you know. But it but it still has its impact. And the dart scene where Ted's like, it's all about be curious. That that's the whole phrase. He's like, and if people actually were curious and they weren't trying to judge me and they really wanted to know, they might have asked me some questions like, hey, Ted. Have you ever played darts? And I'd say, yes, every day, every Sunday with my dad at the pub since I was 16 years old until he died. Barbecue sauce, right? And Barbecue sauce. And so, <laughs> I, like, it is that. And I think another good example of that is I'm trying to find the quote in my amazingly humongous list of your copious quotes. notes. Your copious my notes. gosh, I have so many notes here. But it, another example is when he just without any explanation, gives everybody a book. And he doesn't tell them the reason they're there. So that's not how it works these days, right? So if we really wanted to tell someone something or we wanted someone to get a certain takeaway from something, we would say, hey, Patrick, I want you to read The Wrinkle in Time because it's about a guy or it's about a girl character who is not going to 
is going to go through this journey and struggle and have to develop her leadership on the fly, right, in order to bring a broken group of people together, which is exactly what he needs Roy to do. So he wants Roy to experience this story, and he believes that through experiencing this other story that Roy is going to learn something through that book, but he doesn't tell him that, right? He doesn't go up to Roy and say, Roy, I want you to read this book because this is the thing I want you to get out of it. And that was impactful for me because I think that that is how we deal with things in real life so much. It's like, hey, Patrick, I want you to read this book because I want you to become anti-racist. So here, read this book and become anti-racist instead of, hey, man, this book actually had a lot of things that hit for me. This taught me a lot of things. It opened my eyes to a bunch of stuff. And I'd love for you to read this and let's talk about it or what you know what I mean? It's a very different mentality. Again, it's about me versus about you. Right. Ted doesn't make it about what he's trying to get across. He makes it about letting Roy just have experience. And it's the same with everybody, right? Everybody gets a book that is meant for them, but he does want people to be curious. And, and it is really awesome. Like that, that theme, that's one of the beautiful things about the film, the film, the show is that the themes follow all the way through. It's very consistent yeah. with them. Well, that's, that's the thing. And, and one of the things you find about the show is that it's written in order. It's not written as if, you have episode three is done. Okay, we need to shoot episode one, obviously, before we can get to episode three. The show was done in order, and it's also a finite journey. I think the creators of the show said this is going to be three seasons, which I think is fantastic, by the way. The Duffer Brothers for Stranger Things, which I have not seen. I've tried to start it two or three times, and Winona Ryder just doesn't do it for me. <laughs> so I, I have not gotten on that train. But what I think the Duffer Brothers have accomplished, and Netflix specifically with them, is they said, this is how long we want our story to go. We have everything plotted out. We think it's going to be four seasons. Can you give us that? And Netflix said yes. And I think that's a great formula, especially for shows like this, where you're trying to create a through line. You're not filling up episodes with subplots and things that keep you interested from episode to episode. And that's valuable, Aaron. We, My wife and I love the procedural shows, like The Good Doctor, because we get to see what's happening in the episode. And, oh, yeah. I remember that thing happening. The West Wing is another great kind of thing, kind of show where you have episodic storytelling, but there's overlap for episodes and episodes and episodes. Ted Lasso takes the approach of here's the story we're going to tell for season one, here's the story we're going to tell for season two, and here's the one we're going to tell for season three. And I think because you have that, you can create those three lines in a more authentic way. The word discovery came to mind when you were talking about that, because that's so valuable to people. Oftentimes in my marriage, when I see something with my wife that I feel like I can kind of interject that will eventually come across as mansplaining, unfortunately, because I just I have issues with, with that. More often than not, psychologically, we want to be the ones to discover something. In other words, if 2 plus 2 equals 4, I want to figure that out on my own, or I want to be shown a way to figure that out instead of being told, hey, this is what it is. Same thing with the book. I have made it a point when I read something pretty amazing and I get into a conversation that reminds me of that book, I make it a point not to say, you know what you should read? You should read this because it talks about X. No, instead, I try to say, Something I've learned lately is 
this principle. Oh, wow, where'd you learn that? Well, there's a book that I was reading called this. And you, if you want to find out more about that, you should probably check it out. Because I think oftentimes we shortcut and we want to try to either get the conversation done or to feel like we're contributing to a person's world or a person's life by saying, oh, I, I know it can help you. And we become like their therapist. Well, Ted Lasso doesn't do that. He puts books in their locker, which people like Jamie Tart just throw away because they don't need that kind of nonsense. Roy Kent's another great example because he's like, what is this? And it's through that process of discovery. We see him not once, not twice, but maybe three times reading the book. And I, I think, I think it's three times. And because of the fact that he's at one point in the book and then He's close to the end of the book, and then another point, he's reading the end of the book again to his niece or something. But you're exactly right. When we plant those seeds, when we're able to allow a person to discover by just kind of nudging them instead of pushing them into the, the world that we want them to see, it creates an avenue of, I would almost say, safety. So that, let's say, you 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 say, instead of saying, you should read this book about anti-racism, how to be anti-racist. And instead you said, hey, this book got me thinking about a lot of things. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Can you take some time to read it? At that point, what you're doing for me is you're allowing me the freedom to not only read it on my own, but also form my own opinion because you and I could have polar opposite reactions to it. But the hope is that our polar opposite reactions can lead to an understanding of why. What is it that we disagree on when it comes to this particular topic? What is it that we agree on? And so it's less about saying, agree with me because you're my best friend and we need to think the same. And it's more about, you know what? This has really kind of sparked something in me. I would really love to get his take. I mean, it's even like, you know, movies and TV shows. I'll tell you, man, I'm watching this great show, but I'll never recommend it to you. One, because you don't have time to watch, but also because the appreciation that I have by telling you I'm enjoying this is all I need. I just need to tell somebody like you who appreciates the fact that we enjoy these things in common. That's enough for me. And I don't necessarily need to share that. Like every year I do a summer rewatch of the way, way back. And every year it never disappoints. And I even told you, I'd love to cover this on the show. We're not going to cover it on the show again because we've already done it. But to me, that's an expression of, this is how much I love it. It's probably top five at this point. Nobody else is going to get that. And I don't expect you to engage with all the things that I'm saying. You just appreciate the outpouring of my appreciation. In a lot of ways, I think that's what Ted's trying to do. Is he's trying to get these relationships with Roy and, and, and Jamie and Sam so that they can feel comfortable saying the things that they do. I think that's why none of this stuff, quote, bothers him. Because he wants them to be honest with him. He wants them to say, here's a suggestion box. What, you know, what do you need from me? And they say, you know, Roy says, increase the shower pressure. And that alone was a little nugget of appreciation. He's like, you know what? He appreciates enough to get something as stupid as the water yeah. pressure in the locker room fixed. And I think because that happened early on, I think it really set the stage for Roy's involvement as a, as a character and as a player and as a human being that we fell in love with. Yeah, I mean, he, he does that for everybody. He gives everybody the opportunities to be the best they can be. And that's really what he's all about, is about trying to create 
this world, this 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 place where people have the chance to actually do the things they love and that they're good at and show their talents, which it Nate's the perfect example of that one, I think, because Nate's this random guy who serves water, right? And he's like, yeah, but what do you want to do? And and what where what's in your heart? And he allows Nate to have these thoughts and some of them work and some of them don't, right? And yet and Higgins and, and everybody and the whole Diamond Dogs crew eventually, or thankfully they didn't choose Proud Boys. That was a hilarious moment, by the way. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I love when they're going through the names and Higgins, and everybody's like, ooh. <laughs> and they start with the Diamond Dogs and the, oh, oh, oh. I don't know. Anyway, I love their little group. But I, I do. I love how he is able to encourage everybody to be their best all the way to the end, right? All the way to the end to where even after – Everything that's gone down and the relegation, the last kind of moment is we see Coach Beard taking this note up and giving it to Jamie as he's getting on the Man City bus to go home. And he opens it and it says, way to make the extra pass. And like, <laughs> who does that, right? Like that that's the thing I continue to say over every episode at least once. I'd be like, who does that about Ted Lasso, right? And that is amazing because I don't think anything he's doing is unrealistic or unnatural it's just that we don't think that way because we don't care about other people and so if i cared about jamie's true success not jamie doing something that brings me success but what jamie finding his potential and 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 being the best jamie he can be as a person and as a footballer like then that's how i'm going to treat him the way that ted treats him if i care about winning games which brings me success which saves my job, which is all of, again, it's that selfish thing. It's about me. Then I'm going to act differently. I, maybe I don't care about fixing the shower thing because I'm too focused on this other thing that I think is going to bring the team success. But if I actually care because the players are like, oh, I don't want to take showers that don't have any water pressure, like he does care about people. And it, and it is a very genuine feeling that you don't, you don't manufacture it. You, you don't, you can't fake it. I guess is what I'm getting at. Well, what what you mentioned, that scene is so poignant because there's several things that happen that are so subtle. One, Ted doesn't deliver the note. Beard does. Yet another way that Lasso could have said it's all about me, I'm going to deliver this note in front of you and all the players. Nope. And there wasn't any animosity. It wasn't fucking mind games that <laughs> that Jamie was assuming. But he, he gets on the bus and he reads it and says, wait a minute, that extra pass, you know, Ted. I think that the fact that it was a note, that it wasn't a speech, says a lot. The fact that Beard sent it instead of Ted Lasso, I think that's another thing that just shows, look, I don't need to make some big, grand gesture to make it matter. Honestly, it reminded me a lot of the passage in Scripture where you have the guy you have these two people praying, and there's this guy who says, have mercy on me, God, a sinner, and he's got his head down. And then across the way, there's this Pharisee that says, thank God I'm not like this guy who is you know, lowly and whatnot. And it, it parallels the fact that this Pharisee is trying to make it all about him. Even his prayers are grand gestures, whereas this guy over here is just it's all about his relationship with God and making sure that he's repentant and that his attitude is right. That's the attitude I see from Ted. It's not that he's not trying to make it about him, but because he really does 
value community over the individual. And honestly, Aaron, that could be to a fault. There's this wonderful conversation where <laughs> Beard has like what, eight pints sitting at the table when Ted walks in. <laughs> he said, he basically says, it's going to be this kind of night. He goes, yeah, you've had that kind of day. And Ted is getting frustrated. It's, it's when he has to bench, he has to decide whether or not to bench Roy. And he doesn't want to do it. And Beard's like, you've got to bench him. He's just not been performing the way he needs to. And this is one of the few times that Beard just gets so frustrated. So before you go there, I want to back okay. that up just a bit because okay. I think it's important to parallel these two things because okay. this is like the one thing Ted does wrong. And doesn't necessarily do wrong, wrong, wrong wording, incorrect wording. This is the one place that Ted Lasso fully, completely has to grow and change over the course of the show. Because when we go back, episode three, and I had both of these quotes highlighted, Beard's rant and this other thing. He is with Trent Krim. He is giving the independent their one-on-one -on -one interview that Rebecca has set up intentionally to try and completely trash him. And what he tells Trent he says, for me, success is not about the wins and losses. It is about helping these young fellas be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. Some of we just talked about. He tells skeptical reporter Trent Cram in the show's second episode, and that and he says, it ain't always easy, Trent, but neither is growing out up without someone believing in you. He is so completely focused on that, right? And I love it because Trent's actual article comes out, and he says, whether that means allowing followers to become leaders or, in a show of respect, eating food so spicy it's sure to wreak massive havoc on his intestinal system, which is also another great moment where he wants to make that driver. He goes to this restaurant because he told his driver that he would, and, because, and he kept his word, right? And he doesn't want that guy to look bad in front of his dad, so he eats this crazy hot stuff, and he eats extra because Trent won't eat his own. He's incredible. But he says, and though I believe that Ted Lasso will fare, fail here. Ann Richmond will suffer the embarrassment of relegation, you know, prophetic. I won't gloat when it happens because I can't help but root for him because of what he is doing. So I just want to point out, like, he has this incredibly admirable thing about him that wants to not worry about wins and losses. And even the cynical Trent Krem gets on board with that. And while understanding that it isn't going to be successful, finds value in it but then we get to your point and your scene yeah and you, you mentioned so it was trent Krim of the independent is that right okay i'm just making yeah. sure we know that <laughs> oh yes i love when he calls him out one of my favorite <laughs> is one one yeah one of the press conferences that he does after that interview and yeah. he just says it he, he, she's like okay next and he's like trent Krim, independent like he he and trent's just <laughs> and trent's like Trent Krim, independent, like he repeats himself, like like you, like that's my line. Yeah, you messed it up. So good. It's so great, man. It really is. So we get to that that moment with with him and Beard, and it's it's one of the few moments where Beard just loses it. He is he's such an interesting character, by the way. Um, but he tells Ted, "Look, in college, these are kids." They're playing a college sport. They're playing a, you know, they're not, these are my words. They're not getting paid. They're, they're doing this for fun. And at that level, it's appropriate to have this mantra of believing in them and getting the best out of them. But these are professional footballers. They live and die 
by wins and losses and their performance. And essentially, Aaron, he's saying you've got to be able to do both. You've got to be able to make the tough decisions for the team. And so what he's saying is that we're not in conflict with what your philosophy is, Ted. But you have to understand that when you're coaching a professional football team, where people are doing this for a living, you have to take into account performance. You have to take into account skill. And the truth is, sometimes you have to pull a player. Sometimes you have to bench a player. And you have to find the balance of those two ideals where believing in the team and getting the best from folks and also doing what's best for the team, if it means benching those players, you have to be able to do that. And I'll tell you, Aaron, I'm, I'm facing that this year. I'm, I'm getting a chance to be an assistant coach for a, a U9 rec league. And I have to stress rec league. These are not World Cup players. Parents need to calm down, including myself. <laughs> but my son, I'm at kind of a crossroads with my son because all summer he has been playing in this advanced training where he's getting upper level skills, playing up with nine and 10 year olds or training with nine and 10 year olds. And he has the skills to do that. There's a huge difference in attitude when it comes to that training versus practice that we do at our, at our rec league level last year. Kids are laughing, talking about Fortnite and just goofing around. But you see him at training with these other nine, 10 year olds and they're just ready. They're ready to do the drill. They're in line. They're standing there. They're, they're there because they want to be there and they want to get better. And that's going to be something difficult for me because I have the Ted Lasso mentality of like, look, I don't want to lose the fun of the game. I don't want kids to come out here at nine years old in a recreational league and feel like they're being drilled because the next David Beckham is going to show up on the pitch. I don't think that's going to happen. But at the same time, my son and a couple other players who have been doing this are going to probably want that kind of expectation. So the challenge for me as an assistant coach and as part of this team is to manage those expectations to say, look, we want this game to be fun first and foremost. But we also recognize that being fun also means being competitive at this level, being able to actually fight for a win and not get blown out 10 mil because that's not fun. In fact, my son and I just finished watching Mighty Ducks Game Changers on Disney+. And one of the lines that came out was, with regard to this team that was formed because they just wanted to have fun, but they were getting beat. And at the end of the second game, one of the kids said, it's not fun when you get your ass kicked every week. And I think that's a true statement. But you shouldn't go the other route and say, okay, it's always going to be about the win and loss or tie, depending on what you're doing. And so I think like Ted, I'm learning that when is it appropriate to pull a kid out even if it's your son because he's not performing well? When is it appropriate to take a risk and pull a kid out who's doing well but is being completely like a Jamie Tart and making it all about themselves? Those are risks that you take as a coach. And if you extended that to maybe a life situation, they're risks that you take other places, like taking a role away from a coworker because they're not performing and being honest. I had to have an honest conversation with one of my subordinates this week about basically saying your production 
your performance is not on par with the rest of the team and it's got to get better. And because of that, I'm going to be pulling these things from your plate because you're not cutting it. And that was hard because I come across as a mean guy. And that's a growing experience for me because that's not my managerial style. I'm a laissez-faire, let's get it done. I believe in all of you. But I had to be Coach Beard in that moment, and I didn't like it, but I knew it was necessary. You know, I, I literally didn't think about this until just now, but I don't know that there's any resolution to this per se, but I think this it, it's interesting to me because Coach says, Coach Beard says, losing has repercussions. We lose, we get relegated. We get relegated, this is over, and we will have built nothing. And if you want to pick a player's feelings over a coach's duty to make a point, you know, I don't want to drink with someone that selfish, right? And I think in that moment, we all agree, right? We all agree with him in that moment. But the reality is they do lose, and they do get relegated. And there is no way the show ends with us having the feeling that they built nothing. So in reality, is that because it's okay because he didn't pick the players' feelings, and they still lost? Is that kind of the difference here? So, because the whole thing was, do you bench Roy, or do you not bench Roy? And so he didn't, right? Which is leads to literally one of my favorite couple of, uh, probably my top five so single scenes in the whole thing, where Roy walks in late to training, and Lasso's in his thing, and he's about to start, and he says... You know, look, what is it really going to be for? Let's go. And second team's going to kick first team's effing asses today. And then as he's the last man out of the locker room, you see him reach up and tap the sign. And I'm literally like, I'm getting teary thinking about it. Like I cry multiple times in the show over these characters and over their growth because I care about them. And I think it's beautiful the way that they change. Um, and I love that. I love seeing him do that. So I guess that maybe that's the difference, right? Is that he doesn't, put the feelings first he does do the coach's duty and so then because of that they are able to stomach the loss but it kind of conflicts a little bit with what coach beard is trying to sell there because he's saying you know we will have built nothing and they definitely built something so i think it i think the answer is somewhere in the middle and i think yeah. that's the beauty of the whole show for me and specifically that relationship is ted is amazing but you know it's easy to be like ted lasso he's the name of the show he's the main character he's the the hilarious one, right? He's the internal optimist or whatever. The relationship between him and Coach Beard as partners and as friends is another thing that will make me cry. That moment where he accepts and he has, he tells his wife, basically, I'm going to let you go. And Beard, and Beard does this a couple times throughout the, the show where he understands the moment, and this is what a best friend is, okay? This is what a true best friend level type of relationship is for people. He comes up silently. He hands him a beer and an umbrella in the rain, and they sit there, and they drink beer, and they don't talk. He never says a word, and he doesn't need to, right? There's another time when Lasso says, Something like, I, you know, I'm so upset, but he's like, don't ask me, da, 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 da. And Beard's like, okay, I got it. Won't, won't say a thing. And they, they walk into the locker room or something and he goes, 
Oh, it's after the, I think it's after. When he sleeps with, um, when he, he sleeps, sleeps with Sassy. With, with and he's Brad, like, yeah. he's like, do you want to talk about it? He's like, oh my God, yes. Right. Like, but they know each other so intimately, right? He know, they know each other's needs. And without him, Ted is not complete, in my opinion. Like, there's a reason a coaching staff is a coaching staff, and there are reasons that, that people need other people around them to be the best in just it's the same thing he preaches to the team just like you know Roy can't win it all on his own Jamie can't win it all on his own you know Danny Rojas like you have your pieces his pieces are essentially those diamond dogs but specifically coach Beard their their friendship is just an absolutely incredible thing for me throughout the whole season I could not agree with you more and I think you're the beard to my lasso I'm gonna just say that right now uh, same, and, absolutely. And, and, and the reason is, Aaron, because you have, in a world of partnerships, you have the visionary and you have the, the executor. And I think that these two represent the visionary and the executor. Ted Lasso inspires what you see with Coach Beard, with his straight face, glasses on, hat on. He, he barks out orders. He barks out drills. He says, do this, do this, do this. His comments are short and sweet. It's what makes that moment in the pub so amazing because he actually expresses some feelings. He expresses some emotion through this type of stuff. And in that moment, I think we get more layers of the onion peeled for both Beard and Lasso. And I think that there's a mutual respect for who they are as individuals and also as coaches. That's set up so wonderfully in the pilot episode where you have Ted sitting in one seat and what's Beard doing behind him? He's reading another book on soccer. And Ted's just so excited about being a coach. It's not like he's dismissing it. Like he's going to learn this stuff. But Beard's role is to be the X's and O's guy on the pitch. Like he is there. And that's not disrespecting to Ted because that's not his strength per se. He lets Beard do his job. Just like he lets Nate do his job eventually. He brings people in. And to me, I think a good coach in sports or in other things is someone who who recognizes the strengths of their team and says, go. He gives them the autonomy to say, do what you're best at. I will coach you. I will ask questions. But I want you to take the risks and do the thing. This is the one thing I have trouble with with some of my staff is that they want to look to me for the answers. And I'm saying, look, in order to grow, in order for me to build trust in you, you got to be willing to fail. This isn't a deal breaker in terms of losing your job decision. Know that you're going to make a decision and that decision may not be the best. You got to get out of that fixed mindset. And I think that's where beard comes in for ted it's not that he knows more about the game he may but i think ted trusts him to handle that part of the coaching model for this team and it's why i think the team success hinges on both of them in terms of their performance and going back to your comment about what beard says with regard to being relegated and all this doesn't matter i think it's you're right it's subtle i think it's the both and aaron because what if the tone of the show was all about winning and you had the Jamie Tarts never leaving to go back to Man City and nothing ever changed, which that wouldn't be a very interesting show. 
But what if they ended up winning at the end of the season? Like, oh my gosh, we did. We didn't get relegated. Would that be as satisfying? No. And I think part of what the show teaches us is that it's not that winning and losing isn't important. I think it's elevated to changing of lives. I think they're both important. And even when you don't get the outcome on one end, it's okay because you're still getting the outcome somewhere else. But both are really important. And I think that's where the tension of the show really, really finds its success is being able to recognize that we do want to see Richmond win. We don't want to see them always lose. Because as fans who are now getting their jerseys and their hats and their mugs and all that stuff, we want to see them succeed. But we're also part of the team and that we're understanding and getting to know Sam and Roy and all these characters because we care about their individual successes as well. And I think that's why Ted Lasso is so entertaining is because we're getting the win not only on the pitch, but off of it as well. And that's what I think that conversation was alluding to, which is a changed life is going to look different for each individual. What does a changed life look like for Roy Kent? For right now, it looks like a guy who's going to be okay or have to deal with retirement. For Jamie Tart, what's that going to look like? For Sam, what's that going to look like? For Rojas, what's that going to look like? We don't know, but we know that there are seeds there of like, these guys are going to be better and we're excited to find out how they're going to be better, not just better you know, footballers. Well, I better get Roy Kent. I don't know he whether he plays, whether he's on the bench, <laughs> if he's assistant coach. I don't care. I don't know, somehow, some way, but I need I need Roy Kent. I think Roy Kent's coming back. And just for the record, listeners, neither of us have seen the second season's trailer, and we were refusing to because we want to go into it fresh, blind. We don't want to know anything. And so if you have seen the trailer, kudos. But don't say a word to us because this is one of those that we're specifically avoiding because we don't know and we're excited to know how that plays out. Very cool. Well, I want to talk a little bit about Ted's relationship with his wife because this was actually the biggest surprise, Aaron. You watched this pilot episode, and even if you knew that Ted Lasso as a character was sort of uprooted from this NBC Premier League SNL sketch, one of the things that Sadek has talked about in an interview that I listened to him talking about the show, he said, how do we take a four to five minute segment and make a half hour show about it? And not only a half hour show, but a 10 episode season. Of course, you have to fill in those gaps and you have to answer that question. Why is Ted this successful football coach in, you know, from Wichita, Kansas going to England to coach a Premier League soccer club that he knows very little about the game. It seems odd. And the first episode ends with him, and this is, I think, a, a great testament to his acting, because we don't hear the other side of the phone call. He's on the phone with his, his wife. We, we discover that he's married, that he has a kid. And at one point before the conversation ends, you hear him kind of get a little flustered. He's like, but I didn't... But Okay, okay. And we're like, whoa, what's going on? And then he says, I love you. And then he goes, you don't have to say it. And he's like, he gets real quiet. And we're like, oh my gosh. This guy that we've just fallen in love with, he's got problems? What, what's going on here? And of course, that kind of leads us into, what's going to happen, right? So that's one of the big through lines 
throughout the, the first season is his relationship with his wife and his son. And we get what I consider my favorite episode of the show, Tan Lines, is I think episode five, where his family comes in. And oh my gosh, this is just great writing, great story beats. He's on the pitch. They're having training. They're training. And he's getting frustrated with his team. He's like, we're going to be here all night if we have to. And then he sees his family. And then two seconds later, he's like, practice is canceled. And then he runs across the pitch. And of course, Nathan's talking to Coach Beard. And he says, I don't think he realizes how far that, that run is. And you see him just embrace his son. There's just this banter between him and between the two of them. And then he hugs his wife. And the whole episode is threaded with his relationship with her. And we get such great tender moments between the two. Aaron, I don't, I guess this is what estranged looks like. I don't know. But I, I'm just in I awe. Hate it. <laughs> you get, I mean, sure, yeah. And, there, it's not. It's hard. It's a hard. It's I, a hard I, part I of the show that. to watch. I get. Um, I, 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 I get that. And I think because there's a lot of truth in what's happening there. It's very course, realistic. And of course, we get to the end of the episode. They've won the match, which is pretty incredible. And it's pro. And the, my favorite episode is probably partly due to one of my favorite lines in the entire show. He and Coach Spirit are sitting on the pitch. They're yelling "wanker," but it means something different this time. And Ted goes, oh, like bad meant in the 1980s, like bad meant good. And Beard says, well, who was the president in the 1980s? And Ted Lasso goes, because <laughs> Ronald Reagan. And then Beard gives this epic impression of Doc Brown from Back to the Future. He goes, Ronald Reagan, the actor? And then Ted goes, oh, man, I love it when you do Doc Brown. And I love when he, I love, his kid says, Daddy, what's a wanker? And he goes, that's a man that likes to be alone with his thoughts. <laughs> but, it's, but he doesn't skip a beat, Aaron. I know. It's just a man that likes to be alone with his thoughts. I mean, what a way to protect your kid from just the harsh realities of, of European language and, and, and whatever. But anyway, so the, so the episode ends and, Ted says what you do and uh, what you mentioned earlier. He said, I've got to just be willing to let you go. Got to be willing to say goodbye. And it finishes off with that touching moment with Beard and Lasso. I look at this and this could have been a throwaway. This could have been unnecessary. We could have put Ted Lasso in a different type of context where he had done something crazy in America that got him pulled to England. But I think it was incredibly smart to have this because it allowed us to see a vulnerable Ted. One who either be, in spite of his optimism, because of his optimism, or just because of things that can't be explained, his relationship with the one person that he was the closest to didn't work out. And it shows us that sometimes being positive doesn't protect you from the ugliness of life, the ugliness of, of the world. And that in order to push through, you need people, you need to have the Rebecca's in your life that rescue you from your panic attack. And 
it really does round out the character of Ted Lasso because we could love this show for its humor. We could love the show for its positivity. But those types of episodes and there are so many different moments that round him out in a way that make him even more of an important character, more of an appreciative character because he then becomes human. He could be a positive robot. But at that point, we realize Ted is a human being, too, and he hurts. Yeah. So, like I said, it is very realistic as someone who has been estranged in this exact way. Not exact way. I didn't, like I said, I didn't go to England and coach football. Um, but I definitely was on a different coast during an estrangement of this kind, and over a long period of over a year, year and a half of not seeing my kids except for certain amounts a month. I mean, it was very similar in a lot of ways because of me being in the military at the time. I couldn't just pack up and go along with the kids. I had a job like Ted has um, somewhere else. And so I can tell you, I, I think that there's just some things that, you know, I'm many years crazy to think about it but i'm literally a decade removed from the last divorce at this point but that person is still in my life on a daily basis as a friend and so it's maybe that's why it's very still raw at some points like you just don't get over some things in life and it was tough it was so tough because this relationship is not hateful (laughs) and you know, I'm so torn because there's part of me that wants to be like, no, you fight for your marriage. Like, look, there's nothing that went wrong. Like, you guys, there's literally, I, there's nothing given to us that I could be like, oh, there's a reason for divorce. I don't see cheating. I don't see abuse. I see people who just say they fell out of love, which I think is a, is, is a whole nother story. But like, I, I don't want to see them get divorced, right? And yet, this is the decision the characters are making, and I can understand it. I don't like it, don't want it, but I can understand it. And, in that moment you're talking about when he he's been going through these struggles and doesn't know what to do and him saying you don't have to keep trying anymore i'm okay i'm gonna be okay and he says shoot i promised myself i would never quit anything in my life and she says but you're not quitting ted you're just letting me go and whoo like that is heavy because it's it's on brand for ted like ted is even in this moment, which is literally his lowest moment probably of the entire of his life, probably in so many ways, because, you know, ultimately, like he's going to have a breakdown when it comes to signing the papers later on in the show. And that's also hard. But this this is the the moment of decision like this is is got to be harder. And for him to, again, not make it about himself and to say, I know you can't verbalize this. Because you're, you don't want to hurt me. But I know I can tell what's in your heart. So I'm going to make this easy on you. Is, it's, in a way it's beautiful. In a way it's tragic. And so that's why it's so powerful to me. And, you know, as that progresses, like watching him, I love that it gives him, from a narrative perspective as a character, it gives him and Rebecca this way to bond and become close. And man, the show, I'm telling you, this is literally one of my favorite written seasons of television in history like it is that good to me everything is perfectly interwoven because she's going through this with rupert and this divorce and struggles with who is she and what's her identity now and and she's lashing out and dealing with it in terrible ways right which is what people do (laughs) and 
he's able to relate to her and bring her to a better place. And she's able to help bring him to a better place. And when you see him like sitting outside of that karaoke place, like on the side of the sidewalk, pulling his hair out, like he has that breakdown moment. Dude, it's real. Like I'm telling you, it's real. Like anybody who's gone through a divorce that they weren't 100% on board with has sat there and not let those papers get signed and has, oh yeah, yeah, I'll get to that. And like tried to delay it and not want, I mean, it, those are so accurate portrayals of this. And you hurt for him because you don't want to see him going through that. But what you also get to see is probably my favorite part about this is what does he consistently do that he never, ever misses a beat the entire show? He talks to his son. That is a relationship and a promise he makes. It is a priority in his life and he keeps it. And if they didn't keep that element of the character for some reason, like it would all fall apart to me. But like, cause that's so important. And it's so not always the norm in the world these days for parents to put their kids first, but he does. And, and I love it. And I think that because of the way he treats her in this moment and in this immense pain that he is feeling, his ability to not make it about him and his hurt and what he's losing allows them to have the kind of relationship that ultimately like I personally get to experience now with my ex-wife and my kids and why my kids have grown up in a divorced home and have had no issues like because of that at least they never have had any question they've always had both parents at every event at, at every part of their life every stage active involved we get along we're friendly they've only seen us like being you know respectful to each other they don't have those memories of us like hating each other right and so many kids don't get that and so i love that that gets to be shown in this show as part of it because maybe maybe there's somebody out there going through this that watches this and and is inspired by the way that ted handles this situation that that would be my hope um and so while it can be triggering and painful for those of us who've gone through it i think that the way that they handle it, it like you said I love that you brought it up because it is the unheralded like MVP storyline of this entire thing because it's real. Like it matters more than whether you win or lose soccer games too. You know what I mean? And it's, it's something that I think can transcend the material that we're seeing it in into like real world context. Those are good thoughts, Aaron. And I look at Ted's relationship with Rebecca and I actually didn't make that direct connection to the fact that they're both going through this. And I think part of that and the beauty of that is that I don't believe in any episode we ever see Ted or Rebecca say, hey, I understand. They don't verbally say that. It's just acknowledged. And I think it's what leads to the episode All Apologies where everything comes out. Higgins gets his apology. From Rebecca, Rebecca apologizes to, to Ted. And, and that's a great moment too, where Ted says, I forgive you. And we might think that comes across as cheap or hallmarky because it's like, really? I mean, all this stuff has happened and you're willing to just forgive her? I don't think he would have given that kind of reaction had he not experienced what he did a few episodes prior. And had she not come to his aid, 
And it's not about an IOU or about a, hey, we're on a different level, but I think it's about the fact that that mutual understanding allowed him to understand what she was going through and why she did what she did. So for him to go through what he did with the panic attack and kind of accepting the divorce and signing the papers, I don't know that that reaction would have actually happened. Who knows? But it made a whole lot of sense when it did because we know Ted is an optimistic guy. Would he forgive anyone and everyone? And that's another that's another interesting question because he does have his breaking point. And maybe we'll see that in the second season. But I think that the honesty of their relationship and how it grew and led to that pivotal moment where she laid it all out there. Some of us, the cynic in us, would probably say, man, you let her off the hook too easily. But at the same time, maybe he needed to be the one person in her life that wasn't a hassle, that wasn't going to let it hang over her. And man, forgiveness and grace are all over that. And I think it's beautiful to see that. Because it, of course, leads to that final episode where we actually get to, without anything hanging over us, we all get to root for Richmond. And we see Rebecca in all of her gear. And I love the line she says, man, I'm freaking out because it sucks to actually have to care about something like this. Which, I mean, you and I can relate to, right? Anytime the Battle of the Boot happens during college football, both of us are probably like on pins and needles going, I can't eat. I mean, I will tell you, I will confess, every year, if I'm eating something during the Battle of the Boot, I can't eat it. Like, I'm not hungry because I'm so focused on, is LSU going to win? Is it going to be close? What's going to happen? And it's pretty it's pretty great because at the end of it, you're like, oh, either after a win or a loss. But it's that experience that you like. It's kind of the, the risk you take whenever you love a team. And it's the hope that kills you. That's it's what it's the called. Hope that and, kills you, yeah. <laughs> but that's battle. not what Ted Lasso believes, right? Yeah. I think that's that's one of my favorite things about that episode is the twist of you know it being about this common phrase. It's the hope that kills you. I actually saw the Ringer tweeted this today after the England and Italy match. Somebody, the main Ringer tw- uh, Twitter account, tweeted it out and said. Like Ted Lasso says, it's the hope that kills you. And I responded to him and I said, wrong. You are using this completely out of context because what he says right after that is, I don't agree. (laughs) That's not the true. It's the lack of hope that comes and gets you. And I think that's what Rebecca is experiencing in that moment, right? Um, and And it's beautiful and it's communal. It is the whole show is about communal, community. It's about the team coming together and being community. It's about the Diamond Dogs coming together and being a community. And it's about everybody being included. And Ted tries to be inclusive of everybody throughout the whole thing. It's like trying to get Rebecca to come to the burning of personal items and participate in things, right, along with the team. And then you build this group effort. It's in in that box is Keeley and Higgins and his 15,000 kids and you know, all of these things, like it's not just it's it all goes back to that very last line in the show or not last line, but very almost final line when he's having that post game meeting in the locker room 
And he says there is something worse out there than being sad. And that is being alone and being sad. Let's be sad now. Let's be sad together. And then we can be a gosh darn goldfish. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. It is. And that moment is interesting because you pointed out the aloneness versus community. I'm, I really kind of tacked on to the idea of we need to recognize that we should be sad because this whatever optimism, this blind optimism would just say, let's just move on. All right, let's be a goldfish. The show recognizes that a loss is hard and that it matters. It's valuable to the team. And Ted gives permission. He said, let's be sad now. And then tomorrow, let's think about next season. And I think that's so important because you don't, if you don't do that, you put yourself in a position where you're not learning. You're not recognizing your own emotional intelligence. You're not recognizing the fact that you need to be able to grieve instead of just moving on. Uh, one of the things that Ed Odron, the head coach at the LSU football team, he does on Monday, he says, tell, he calls it Tell the Truth Monday. And it's essentially a blunt, where do we screw up? What did we do really well? Let's figure it out and then we can get down to business. But he lets his team grieve the loss when they have them, which is rare. I'm just kidding. <laughs> if it was 28, you know, 2019. But, um, I think a, a head coach or anybody that's in charge of molding people allows for those opportunities to grieve. This last week, our the division of our company in Sherwood lost a an employee, passed away suddenly. Huge impact on the team, not only because he was a valuable employee in terms of his production and what he brought, but he was a friend to a lot of people. And that was difficult because I didn't know him on the level of other people. And so I had to give space to those that were on my staff that did have a closer relationship with him. And I wanted to be respectful of that and not just say, I'm sorry he died. Now, can you give me that lesson you were working on? I didn't necessarily have that mentality, but I recognized that because I wasn't as close to this individual, that could have come up, that could have been the way. And as somebody who can get very task-oriented at my job, it's easy for me to forget that a person's life is valuable. And I need to be able to allow myself and my team and the people that I come in contact with to sit in those moments and to recognize that you need time to just let that breathe. So seeing that Ted allowed for that, that he recognized that it was necessary, I think it just solidified the fact that he didn't just care about the inspirational side of what we pick up on, but he did care about the wins and losses because the team did. He said, it hurts. It absolutely hurts. So let's sit in this together. Let's be sad together, as you said. And from there, I think it just further intensified that camaraderie that the team has for one another. And uh, and it's a great moment. It's a great way to, to end the match in that regard. And uh, fortunately, it's not the end of the show. It wasn't the end of the episode either. We got that great scene with uh, with him and Rebecca uh, talking about next season, and that left us pretty optimistic about what was to come. 
we've talked a lot about the different episodes and moments. Was there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to to bring up? I mean, we could just we could one line it all day, but I don't want to do that because that's just <laughs> nobody wants to hear that. But I wanted to find out if there were any other kind of subplots or scenes or episodes that you really really latched onto. Yeah, I'll rocket fire a couple things because I agree. I don't want to just go through every single little detail, but the goldfish thing I think is really impactful. I think it's a it's a hilarious little moment early in the show where he's got this like just seemingly off the wall thing. It's one of the first thing he tells them, and he's like, "Do you know why the goldfish is the happiest creature on earth? Because it's got a ten second memory. Be a goldfish." And it's the kind of little nugget that you would read in a self-help book that would never stick with you. But because it's a character that you've had 10 episodes to relate to and it's part of this bigger mythos, I think, it's the kind of thing that will stick with me. Um, Be a goldfish. It's cute. It's adorable. When I think about it, I'll think about Ted Lasso and I'll think about what that means to have a short memory and why that's important. And I think that those are that those kind of things in here are great lessons. I... Love the character development of the entire team, that it's not just, I mean, not the entire team, of course, but I like that there are quite a few characters and players on the team that get moments, whether it's Isaac getting to become the captain by Roy. Um, I just, I think that's a beautiful moment where he hands him the armband. Um, I think, you know, Sam's progress uh, it is really wonderful to see. I love Danny Rojas. Football is life. Uh, I mean, this guy just is the most like if like if you think Ted Lasso is a cartoon character when it comes to positivity and optimism, then Danny Rojas comes in and you're like, how did they possibly create something that ratchets that up? But yet he does like this guy is the most happiest person ever. And, and I think He's lovely, and just the little bits of development we get of them, you know, leave me wanting so much more to see from them. Some of the other players that just have little one-liners and little bits and pieces of information, I liked seeing the burning moment where they're they're sacrificing something that means something to them and hearing their story. That is one of the most impactful moments for Jamie Tart's character development as well, who, I mean, you're supposed to hate, which is perfect, but we get to learn something about him and it's a very real thing and i think you know in light of the euro championship happening today people on my timeline were tweeting out immediately after the england just absolutely tragic like gut-wrenching loss in penalty kicks and they were tweeting out like domestic abuse hotline for england because it's known that there's a fair amount of domestic abuse that happens when people's teams lose in soccer. Like there's a, you know, that football is life is a kind of a, it's a, it's a positive and a negative in so many ways because people put too much impact on that too much, you know, care. And they, they, then their worst characteristics come out. And I think that Jamie is a great example of that, not only because of that culture for fandom, but that culture for how athletes are treated how his dad and that last moment, Ted walking by, and that's what makes that note so much more impactful, of course, because he sees his dad screaming at him and throwing a boot saying, like, I didn't come all this way to see you pass. You know, he won the freaking game. <laughs> he won the game, like, with the pass. But his dad didn't come to see him pass. And so 
his development, what I love about Jamie Tart is that we never see him do some 180 Patrick to where now he's like a hero. He's still a dick, frankly, like he's a jerk. And I, I have empathy for him like Ted Lasso has for him and I want him to be better. And I will praise and, and reflect on the things he does that are positive. But I also acknowledge that he's got a long way to go. And I think that that's a beautiful storytelling method for this character is like taking a long game with him, right? So I like that a lot. I, I just think that it's got so much of that, like the little bits and pieces, everything works. Just the Trent Krim and whole press conference moments of the show also do a great job of nodding to that culture the paparazzi culture and like the way it weaves these things in to critique them in a funny way without making it this big ordeal it's just like it's like seamlessly kind of injected throughout the runtime i think it does a really good job with all of that stuff and you know i just i i love it man i think it's you know it's full of one-liners like you said there's there's no reason to go through them all because you could just do that endlessly. Every single episode is full of them. You know, Ted is a walking quotable, and it's amazing. We both mentioned that we love Roy so much. Uh, he's my favorite. I I literally was crying when the end comes for him after he's chases down Jamie to make that epic tackle from behind, and he's down with that injury, and Sam. I'm going to get emotional. This is stupid. It's a TV show. Sam comes up to him and he's like, stay there. And Roy's like, what? And he's like, I want you to listen. And of course, it's a callback in a way to early in the show when there's that hilarious moment where Sam's down and Roy's like, no, stay down. Like, act a little bit hurt, you know, because they're riffing on the culture of soccer and diving and, and how theatrical it is to try and get a foul call. And so for that kind of flip moment to happen and you hear the whole crowd Roy Kent Roy Kent he's here he's there he's every everywhere Roy Kent he's effing Roy Kent like that's a soccer chant like they have curse words in them but like that is exactly what it is like going to a match from the supporters and and I did I literally cried like in that moment because I I mean, I've watched one season. Yeah, Roy clapping for the crowd as he walks off, which is a, it's a common thing. But like, those are the way you show it in that sport. And, you know, here I am watching one set, one TV show. And I felt like I had gone through an entire career of watching Roy Kent. And I was that much of a fan. That is how powerful the storytelling is, how beautiful it is. It's wonderful. And so I, I love everything about it. And the trick plays at the end, I think, are hilarious. The only thing I have to critique about this entire show, the only thing, I have one minor critique that I would like to see improved upon in future seasons, and that is I would like more and better on-field, on-pitch soccer action. Like, we talk about this in Friday Night Lights all the time when you and I were going through it, like how awesome it's shot. Varsity Blues does a great job of it. Friday Night Lights, the movie, does a great job with the action i don't need this to be those shows because the tone is very different so it's not about that but when you do have that action on the field it you can tell that it's 
kind of cut off the way the angles are. You're not getting a full match view of things very often. You're getting one shot of one highlighted specific play moment. And I would like to see a little more action. Not a lot. So like that's why I'm saying it's minor, but I think that's somewhere that they could maybe, you know, ratchet it up in the future. But dude, I don't know what else to say. It is easily a top five show of all time for me right now after one season. Like it is top five single seasons of shows ever. I will watch. There's not many shows I could ever tell you that I would just want to rewatch for the heck of it. This is one that I just would rewatch over and over and over and love it. And it's incredible. And I'm so glad that it's impacted Tons and tons of people who've watched it, and I hope that anybody who hasn't will. Con- I think more people will just continue to come in and and discover it. Yeah, I, I'm not going to add too much to that. I will say this time around, Roy's arc really stood out, and we've mentioned this when we talk about movies like Ex Machina. When you have a show that's driven by one person, it's called Ted Lasso, but you know it's ironically not ironically but appropriately it's not just about him it's about everybody else too roy really stood out for me this time around watching how he grew his frustrations i think brett goldstein i didn't realize this until reading it recently that he's one of the head writers and that he read the role of of roy Kent, coach beard or no no is he Br- okay brett, brett goldstein is roy Kent. okay that, coach beard is actually one of the writers as well the guy yes, plays both, him. both of them are and and uh, Goldstein really or Goldstein wanted that role of Roy Kent. He read it and was like, "This is something I could do." And so he sends he he sends an uh, audition tape in to the producers and said, "And of course, I'm hearing this with a British accent." He goes, "This is crap. Just pretend you never saw it." And I'm so glad they picked him because that gruff exterior, that kind of guy that you want to see the soft spots. He had some fantastic moments, and I think one of my favorite visual moments is with him and Keely, where she comes into the locker room. He's like, "Go away, go away," and she just keeps coming. Why? Because she's Keely Jones. She's Keely freaking Jones. She'll do what she wants. All right, even lead you to the best karaoke spots in town. Right? She keeps coming in. She keeps coming in, and there's that shot of her sitting next to him. I think she puts her arm around him, but at least, I mean, they're close at least. She's got his jersey on, and they just sit there. You don't hear him cry, you don't hear him, but you know what's going on. Like, he is giving up the ghost at this point. And we don't know what's going to happen to him. Look, if this season ended and that was all, I would be sorely disappointed and pretty sad. And I would live with that sadness for a little bit, and I would be a goldfish and move on. I'm I'm glad we're getting... But it would be satisfying. That's the thing. It's a completely satisfying arc. It's a satisfying series after that first season because you can just make up whatever you wanted. I'm glad we're getting more. And I don't think what happens to Ken's character after this is going to be inappropriate. I don't think he's, I think he's going to retire. I think he's done. I think if you brought him back onto the pitch as a player, it would diminish that whole last scene. And I hope that doesn't happen. I, I believe. I believe in Roy Kent and I believe in the writers and not to say they're not going to do that. But what they do with him after that, I have no idea. Maybe he doesn't come back. Ooh, that would be hard. But in any case, I think watching it this time around, he really stood out. 
Again, Jamie Tart is another one of those great characters. I like Nate the Great. I just enjoyed watching his little growth path throughout the, the, the season this time. And I, and I agree. I think my main criticism is the, the scenes on the pitch felt a little shortchanged, probably because most of the action, most of the drama, most of the storytelling takes place in the locker room, at pubs, and with these one-on-one conversations. So yeah, bring in some, uh, bring in some producers, some cinematographers that might have a little bit of that kind of, uh, flavor and and add to that story i will say this i get british humor i get language and i understand that this is one of those shows that you know this is what you're getting this is a hard show for me to pitch to everybody because of the fact that my son can't watch this my eight-year-old i would love for him to meet ted lasso and to see this amazing character but the the language in the show is for a mature audience and somebody said it best it's a fantastic series or season speaking of season one that has a lot of positive images of positive positivity to it and a lot of positive messages it just needs to be taken in context with understanding that this isn't like inappropriateness it's just the reality of the culture that we're in so i i don't fault it for it i think it's just hard for me to recommend this to like everybody's out there because I always have to give the caveat if language is an issue, if sexual jokes and those kinds of things are, are an issue, that's going to be what is in front of you quite that's a bit. That's a good point. And, and so like for my dad, who may or may not like that kind of stuff, for example, I have to give that caveat. I wish I didn't, but it's not enough for me to say this is a show you just completely dismiss because it's got all this stuff. I wish that they would kind of pull back on that because it's not necessarily necessary. Some of the crude jokes are just, they don't land for me, obviously. But again, that's a subjective thing. And when it comes to art, subjectivity is king. So I'm going to continue to recommend this to anybody just with those kinds of caveats for those kinds of sensitive areas. I think that that's very smart. And I'm I'm glad you pointed that out. I, but I also think that what you're saying and getting at is it is not written in a way that is intentionally crude for vulgar sake like, right that's the kind of comedy that i hate when you're trying too hard to make crude jokes because you think people will laugh the crude parts of this are minimal they're brief the scenes that it happens are brief moments they're not like drawn out and they are specifically there to highlight these characters like this is how a character is it's like largely it's jamie right that's because that's who he is it's his character it's not everybody in the show saying things like that to try and be funny and gross you know and that's what i appreciate and the the funny the cool thing about i actually don't i mean i don't mind swearing as much as some people of course but the one thing that i do think is really neat there's only one moment in this entire show that ted lasso curses and it is his very last line of the season and he says, we will come back and do something nobody expects Win the whole epping thing. And it's just it's one of those like it's one of those like impactful things where it's only it's not meaningful because he cursed. It's meaningful because he used a word that you don't expect him to use that you and therefore it's meaningful. It's an interesting kind of like power to it, not because of the word, you know, but because of the fact that that's not a word he would ever use. And therefore it's special because it has meaning. And so I just thought that was, I love that the writers have that kind of reserved nature to them, right? They're not trying to 
do it just for the sake of it. Um, and I appreciate that. I also, real quick, because I, we didn't talk about Keely. I don't want to go into uh, deep about Keely. I like Keely. I think she's a good character. I think she's good. She's there. Roy and Keely, such a positive relationship to experience because he is showing her her worth and showing her her value. Not only is she helping him to come out of his anger shell, right, and be able to share with someone else, but, like, he is very impactful on her life and helping her realize, like, you're more than just a hot girl to be on the arm of a young football guy, right? Like, you matter. That moment where he goes to her hotel room, door, walks her to her door, and kisses her and leaves. I, dude, I cheered because I was like, thank you. Like, it, it can be like that, right? You can show respect to a woman. Like, you don't have to move that fast. Like, it, that, and that is, and that meant more to her, like, than anything. I also thought it was a great juxtaposition in the day when Jamie comes to the house. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. And Roy's like, they're both sitting at the coffee table and she walks in there and she's like, uh-oh, uh-oh, like Jamie's coming over and he's like, I made coffee. And she's like, yeah, but what about that? And Jamie's like, I brought coffee. And just the difference of like a man that made you coffee. And obviously he lives there. So, but, but you have a man who made you something versus a man who went and bought you something because he is about money and he, Roy is about the value, the quality of the thing. Like it just, I love that relationship that and as it develops between him and keely that's a big part of what I, makes me like so attached to roy yeah and their relationship roy and keely is one that starts with an apology essentially like both of them realize at the at the fundraiser roy feels used he doesn't want to be a part of that nonsense and she straight up says i'm sorry and he kind of he doesn't take it aback by it but it's like Wow, somebody's honest with me and they're, they're gonna, you know, be real with me. And then that couple of episodes later, maybe a couple of scenes later, I can't remember, after that kiss and go moment, she gets mad at him and he says, I'm sorry. You know, I shouldn't have done that. I should have, not that he should have gone and had sex with her, but he shouldn't have essentially kind of led her on or, you know, not move forward. So both of them, I think their relationship started with a, with a sense of, you know what? We're, we can't do this. We can't do this whole dancing around not being honest with each other. And I, I think that's really cool. I think it's nice that they have that banter that they can be very just rough with each other verbally. Like they can be very blunt with each other. Rough's the wrong word. I like there's, there's a couple of great moments that I love. Uh, this time around watching where I love his bad impression of Ted Lasso in front of Keely. It's so funny. And if you've seen the episode, you know I'm not going to even try to imitate that because he just does it perfectly. And then later on, he is kind of telling her, I think it's just after Jamie and her broke up, and he's like, he essentially tells her, well, I'm glad you know, you're you not just coming in here to hang out with Jamie. I'm glad you have your own life. And she's like, yeah, I don't need your permission. I guess I need to text you every time I do something. And then he's like, I didn't mean that as she walks away. And he gets a text saying, I'm going to the bathroom. Is that okay? I mean, it's such a great just kind of. And he mumbles to himself, "Yes." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. So great. And it's it's like you want them together because they work together. They really do. They're both kind of just rough people that 
they, they need love for one another. And I think the show makes it out like they're, they're not really good for anybody else but each other. And it makes that moment at the end in the locker room so, so great and so beautiful because she really does care about him. And I love that she's wearing a jersey. I think that's just fantastic. Cause she didn't wear a Tart jersey, by the way. I never saw her wear a Jamie Tart jersey. I guess wearing Jamie Tart himself probably replaced that, but in any case. Well, that will do it for us. Sorry, I digressed. And we hope that you have enjoyed this conversation as we have. If you have not seen season one, please just drop $6 and make your life better. Watch this. Season two comes out on July 23rd. You don't want to miss that. I believe I watched this after the season premiered and concluded. So remind me, Aaron, is this one of the shows that it comes out weekly? Is that what we're looking at or do they all drop at once? I actually don't know. <laughs> I, I think it is. I think it's a weekly burn. So we're going to be living vicariously through Ted over the course of the next Man. 10 episodes, unless I'm wrong, which I hope I, I'm wrong. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait. I don't think I can hold out and wait for it to be done. No, 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 no. I don't no, want to. No, no, it's been hard enough to avoid trailers and yeah, stuff. It's so. going to be a, it's, if it's a weekly burn, I'm going to watch it. It's okay. We get to Vox about it every week. Nice. So. I love it. It's a Battlestar yeah. Galactica moment. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you guys for this, uh, for listening. And Aaron, thanks for another great conversation. We'll talk soon. Aaron White, do 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 do. Aaron White, do 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 do. Aaron White, do 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 do. Aaron White. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.